Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health, the podcast with your host, Ryan Lampers, a.k.a. The Stealthy Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hillary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. Ryan is the well-rounded bearded brawn of Hunt Harvest Health. His knowledge of backcountry adventure, western hunting, and our household status as garden guru and super dad really defines our gut stealthy lifestyle. Doc Hillary is definitely the brains and beauty behind all of this. She kind of makes everything happen as I have zero technical skills. Hill is just a wealth of knowledge in all things medicine and nutrition, which not only keep our family healthy, but they help me stay strong in all my mountain adventures. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. We appreciate all the five-star reviews that you, the listeners, have shared on iTunes. Myself and Stealthy Honor will be enjoying and selecting a review for each podcast. If we read your review on the air, please email us at lampersatstealthyhunter.com to get your official Hunt Harvest Health t-shirt or tank. Yes, today's review comes from Angel underscore Venom 1452. Fresh look. Not been the healthiest person in my time on Earth, but listening to podcasts like this in the gritty Bowman, it makes you take a long, hard look at how you treat yourself and your family by some of the literal trash we eat. That's right. He said trash. Do you eat trash? <laughs> I sure hope not. I probably <laughs> used to eat trash. I'm trying to stay away from trash these days. Mm-hmm. I see lots of people in the lines. I see the trash I shots. see the trash eaters. Yeah. In the grocery lines. Trash eaters. <laughs> Sorry, trash eaters. <laughs> Probably will never be perfect. That's right. Never be perfect. But striving to do a little better each day. Thanks for the solid and interesting information. Yeah, that's a good one. What was that? Angel Venom? Angel Venom. One, yeah. four, five, two. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hunt and Harvest Health Podcast. This is Dr. Hillary. I am sitting here with Ryan, which uh, lately hasn't been a rare, is actually a rare occurrence, <laughs> but it is now the end of December almost and hunting season is over in our life. And so we are sitting here and we're actually going to do a podcast together today. Yeah, the family is now stuck with me for <laughs> the entire off season. I was just telling him that it's crazy when I'm home by myself, I'm doing work or whatever. The dogs are sleeping on their bed. The kids, I mean, the kids are on and off, but it's pretty quiet. Everything's mellow. He comes home and it's like just everybody goes crazy. The dogs go crazy. The kids go crazy. They all got to be on him in his lap. It's like they follow you around. They do all this stuff. So today we actually had to Get rid of our girls. We went to grandma's because we just could. We tried to <laughs> we do to this last night. Well, we had we tried to do this last night, and we're not going to play that podcast for you because it was just hours of fighting to get um, things said and get our kids to go to bed and blah blah blah. So things are pretty calm right now. But yeah, Ryan's home. It's nice. I like having him home. Um, and we decided that we probably should answer some questions. Yeah, we got a pile of questions. Um, we're obviously not going to get to them all, but we picked out a handful. Yeah, will... yeah, we got some good questions, and we have so this podcast will be a Q and A. We haven't done one since the spring. Um, 
we have a lot of stuff coming up. So in the next few weeks, we're going to start unloading podcasts and we have a bunch of really cool, um, a couple health topic ones, um, a bunch of hunting story ones, uh, that are all going to be coming up. And, um, our one year anniversary for hunt and harvest health. The podcast is on, uh, Christmas Eve. So we've almost been doing this a year. We almost have 50 episodes, which means we've been pretty consistent. So we're very proud of ourselves there. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's It's been somewhat stressful in a different way for us by having to, uh, to create content and do things that we've always just kind of done without ever writing it down or documenting it. So that was a bit of a challenge for us this year. But I think we had a very good year. And that is really only because you guys, people listening people following us on social media, uh, people literally sending us emails and asking us questions and doing things like buying our book that we wrote and, you know, um, wearing our swag and representing and, and just, uh, you know, becoming our friends. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. And for one year that went by super fast. It did. Yeah. I think, uh, still obviously got a lot to learn about sharing content and sharing as much as we, <clears throat> I thought like going into this, I thought I'd be sharing a lot more. It'd just be easy. I'd kind of go into my gardening and all that. And, uh, I'm sure as everybody has seen, I did not get as much content out of my garden as I thought I would. I just kept kind of, uh, doing what I always do and just gardened and, uh, planted. And I'm terrible about actually writing stuff down and talking about it so hopefully i get a little better at that and then you know the canning and the, you know preservation and all that kind of stuff is yeah, a little bit of stuff but uh, i feel like i could have done a whole lot more um as far as going through the steps of prepping a garden and uh you know mid-season post-season all that so hopefully yeah we i mean you barely knew how to type beginning of this year you know you've been on you've been working you've either been out in the yard or out in the field I mean you're you're this is a whole new learning curve for you you know I spend a lot of my time on the computer I always have for for years I have so I learn teach myself things learn things on the computer you you've been doing a different job and not been doing that so this just that like well, just documenting clear, all this. And I then... still don't know how to type. <laughs> I peck away. He uses that as an excuse. I type so he really, have to. really well on my phone, but that's about the extent of it. Well, the nice thing now, Google, you know, you can just talk. It'll actually write for you. So yeah, he's, yeah. So, um, okay. So thanks for being here and listening to this. We got some exciting things coming up in the end of this year and the new year. As always, feel free to send us questions. It may take us months to get back to you or answer. We try to actually email you back if we can, and we feel if it's a question that's personal. Obviously, if you're inquiring about a consult with me, go to the website, go to the specific page for that, and I answer you through that. But um, we appreciate all the stuff, the questions. Yeah, and um, you know, I try to get to a lot of the questions. Apologies if I don't get to everyone because sometimes I you know, I might be on a trip or I might be doing something and I'll, I'll see a question that, and I just kind of forget to get back to it and I'll get into the, the new questions being asked. And then I'll look back on occasion and be like, Oh man, I forgot about that one. Or I, you know, just didn't get to that one. So, um, it happens, you know, trying to get better at that is for sure. So, 
Yeah, it's it's a lot. So all right, well, let's all dive right. into these questions. First questions. Um, okay, so uh, a lot of these we just kind of um, we, we're not taking the specific question because there's you know some topics that you get like you know half a dozen questions, so we're just going to kind of comb it into one. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one that uh, was pretty consistent, and it was basically relating to what items. Um, do we recommend getting when getting into food preservation and storage? You know, what items do we use the most? Um, I think uh, we definitely have, uh, we have a lot of items that really, really help and that we would definitely recommend for doing what we do, um, whether that's canning or drying or, you know, preserving foods of all types. So we can go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, the dehydrators are a must have. A good one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we use, everybody knows we use that Excalibur. Uh, I've just had it forever. Um, now I've got a couple of them and it's that, just that nine tray dehydrator. It's got everything you need. So mm-hmm. um, definitely look for one with uh, the timer and also the temp control. That way it's not one size fits all. You know, you can, you can uh, regulate that temp to um, dry fruits you can regulate it to dry meats where you crank it up to 165 and you can dumb it down when you're doing greens so that you don't get that temperature too hot and lose any of the nutrient value so um that is a good thing to have i know excalibur sells a billion varieties so they Mm -hmm. have some that have temp control they have some that have timers they have both i would recommend getting both the timer thing is invaluable because uh you know if you're a busy person like everybody is you can set it and go um either at night before you go to sleep or in the morning before you go to work so timer and temp control i'd look Mm -hmm. at that one i think uh most of those are going for about 300 bucks Mm -hmm. for the ones that we use yeah and they just had a new model come out. I don't think it's any more expensive than the older one, but it has a glass door on the front of it. We right. don't have that one. We have the darker door doors, but they have a new kind of sleek steel looking kind with a see-through door. It kind of looks like a wine case or something. <clears throat> it's really nice. So you could, it, they're just making them look so much more um, kitchen friendly uh, for aesthetics. And so I like that. And, um, yeah, I don't and, really care what it looks like. Well, I just we have ours are in our garage because <laughs> <laughs> our just, kitchen isn't big enough. We used to have it in the kitchen, but I'm not going to sit there and like watch it dry. So glass door or not. But I it is like, you know, it's like, oh, look, my food is dehydrating. No, <laughs> I just saying I just saw that model on there. Uh, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, and then I think if the dehydrators number one. Probably number two with the dehydrator, like if you're going to get accessories that really is used well with a dehydrator, one I guess would be that Nutribullet for blending up powders or any fine thing you want. And then um, uh, like the slicer. I like the slicers because, you know, pears and you can never cut a pear like into pieces that are perfectly thin and symmetrical. It's hard. A meat slicer slash fruit slicer is pretty awesome to have. I mean, it's just... I didn't have one forever, and I got it done, but it is, now that I've got one, uh, I've had one for a few years, man, it makes life easy. It, it's not like such a chore, um, you know, looking at this m- mountain of apples and or pears or whatever and having to sit there with a knife and cut through them. I mean, you buzz through those things like wildfire. It's just quick, and making jerky, 
I love that slicer. It's easy to clean. Um, and, uh, yeah, super fast when you're making dehydrated foods for, for big hunts. And, um, I think, you know, that's kind of my, my dessert and my, one of my favorite snacks is uh, sliced fruit and sliced bananas and all that kind of thing, which I, uh, you know, use the meat slicer for. So, yeah. Um, those things, they're not that expensive. I mean, you can go sky's the limit or you can just do a basic one. I think they're like 130 bucks ish somewhere in there for a decent slicer. That'll do uh, everything you need it to do. Now we have our slicer. We have is a Cabela's slicer. Yeah. Um, but I did see that Excalibur has nice. They have different grades of slicers as well. Well, right? Or do they yeah. just have one one slicer? No, they they got a couple. Um, yeah. Yeah, Excalibur really has. If anybody wants to check out Excalibur, just go on there. They got a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, they don't just do dehydrators. They do. They do slicers. They do vacuum packers. <laughs> we, they do If we everything. had endless amounts of kitchen finance like money, we'd be like, we'd yeah. be like, one of those, one of those, one of those. Because they had, they have everything for like the paper. Like, you know, normally we use parchment paper for the racks. They have the. Well, they got silicone drying silicone sheets. Silicone drying sheets. So, so you don't have to even buy parchment paper. Yeah. You can wash them. They're they've reusable. also got a Paraflex drying sheet they use, which is cheaper probably just as good but um yeah so they've got all kinds of cool stuff like that um, yeah and it, we've got that food preparation stuff on is store. one of those things it's like if you ever you know my wife always says oh my husband's got everything what do you get for the hunter that <laughs> has you everything do when it comes to i hunting. do not have everything because there's so much kitchen equipment that kitchen. i want like meat things that would make meat preparation easier um you know mixers and everything um, grinders, you can always upgrade and there's just so much stuff that you can use mm-hmm. for food preservation, but definitely, um, yeah, I'd check that out. The meat grinders is huge. Uh, that's one piece of equipment that I could not live without. Um, hand grinding would be, I mean, it takes long enough to grind up an elk. Um, so one of the things I use that grinder for is obviously making sausage and, you know, making blends of burger that you add spices to um, before you wrap and grind or before you grind it and then wrap it or vacuum pack it. But another thing is I like I like a small little grinder just in the kitchen. Um, I've got a little half horsepower, three quarter horsepower uh, meat grinder that we just have in the kitchen. And, you know, I freeze a lot of meat that I don't do anything with i just freeze it in chunks so i'll thaw that out and i'll just fresh grind that before a meal like before making some spaghetti or making tacos or whatever and uh just fresh grinding that meat and then you can add as you grind it you can just add flavors and when you have kids um you know i like to add something spicy to the meat and cook that separate and then with the kids you know no spice so it is kind of nice to fresh grind and just be able to make it up as you go. So, yeah, I I love having just a meat grinder in the kitchen at mm-hmm. all times. Small one. Yeah, we, we when you were coming back from every trip, like, we'd have fresh elk sitting there. And I just turned that grinder on. And that one night I made uh, that, whatever that dish was, that braised greens dish. I made, like, fresh hamburger. And I mixed it with the fat. You had some pork fat right together. And made that dish and cooked it up and it was so fun. It was kind of cool. So yeah, I um 
I, I would like, I like that too. Like the small grinder in there that you can just run it, run it through real quick. Yeah. It's nice to have. And, and actually think, the cleaning isn't too bad. If you clean no, it right and you easy. do it, it's super easy. I mean, you can get a half horsepower, three quarter horsepower and not, you know, break yeah. the bank. Um, I've got, we've got a, um, a bigger one, like a one and three quarter horsepower carnivore that will grind through an elk super fast. And if you're adding pork or anything like that, you know, and you got to grind it a second time, it is nicer to have, you know, a heavier duty, um, more horsepower to your grinder. It just goes so much faster. Yeah. I think that's another question is like, well, would you spend the money on the Excalibur? Would you get a cheaper one? And I mean, yeah, the cheaper one is great in the short term, but in the long term, um, spending a little more money on something that's actually going to last and they, they have a 10 year warranty, which if you buy something a cheaper, like a Cabela's or whatever, not, we love Cabela's. We buy, we have tons of stuff, but like, you're not going to get a 10 year warranty. So, well, with X, Excalibur does, they'll do a 10 year warranty. You have to pay, I think an extra 25 bucks or something to get that. Yeah, but but I think their typical it. warranty is like five years. Um, but now they make, they make great, great yeah, equipment. So I, I, I yeah, I think the theme is, you know, just try to buy quality equipment. This is stuff that'll last you forever. Yeah. I, I plan on having, you know, this meat slicer, the, you know, the dehydrators, the vacuum sealers, everything that, that we talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to have this stuff for a long, long time and it, it needs to last. So, um, I think as far as quality gear, uh, the canner, my pressure canner, my oh, pressure yeah. cooker, that is something that, um, you can make a really good investment in. Um, I'd get that all American. That's the brand name, all American. It's, uh, it's about as good as it gets. I don't think they make a better one out there and it'll last you forever. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's metal to metal. Basically it, it, there's no rubber seals on the inside that'll wear out on you. Mm-hmm. Like the old, what are those press those or whatever they are, those things. Um, I didn't have the best of luck with those things lasting like this all American, this thing will probably be passed down, you know, to my daughter (laughs) eventually. It's just, uh, yeah, it's rock solid. So I would definitely recommend getting a, when you invest in a can or if you do, um, get the all American. The thing is awesome. The next one, I think the, the other big one would be the Instapot. I have yet though, actually, um, our first Instapot we had was seemed pretty good, but it had a plastic piece and it fell out and I couldn't find it. And so you can't fix it. I mean, maybe you can, but I feel like they're cheaper. I bought a new one and the plug doesn't work. So I think I'm going to be on the quest for an Instapot that maybe is a higher grade. Yeah. I haven't researched that, but we love our Instapot. Yesterday we made sausages that were frozen that, you know, um, was that elk sausage that we made a couple yeah. months ago? I had ground up some jalapeno <laughs> cheese elk oh, sausages. So good and fatty and they're frozen. So you're like, oh, we wanted breakfast. We wanted them for breakfast and we, I threw them in the Instapot, a little bit of water and cabbage on top. And in 12 minutes, we had fatty, juicy, yummy, like kielbasa with cabbage. Yeah, it was good. It so was really good. It's so worth getting and I an make, Instapot. Like, you know, I'll get home and I'll just, I'll make a stew in a half an mm-hmm. hour and it's done. Yeah. I make it all the time. I'll just take, have some bear meat taken out in the morning or whatever, get home and slice it up throw some you know like sweet potatoes i'll throw those in some celery some uh celery carrots some kale real simple 
a little bit of grass-fed butter, mm-hmm. let it go. I think it's 20, 25 minutes, and you got a really tasty meal. So, yeah, yeah. Instant Pots are awesome. Yeah, they're the bomb. Especially if you don't have much time. But, um, yeah, I'd say, I mean, we kind of covered a lot of are the that? things that we use the most, really. I mean, obviously, I think a food processor, if you're into making, like, fruit leathers and a lot of things, you can use those for. But, uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, we have our Vitamix. And I like our Vitamix for certain things, but, um, it doesn't do everything. Like, I got it for myself. I love it for no. smoothies and you can make soups and stuff in it. But, like, grinding you, powders, you, can you can't. You have Nutribullet. to do a Nutribullet with that. And, uh, the Vitamix is obviously much more expensive than a Nutribullet. And, um, it's got like a, car motor on it or something so you do have to use it right but uh, vitamix would kind of be that big other big one that we we do use yeah but food processor the vitamix and then um, oh i forgot vacuum packer you know and there again invest in something that's of good quality there's a lot of really crappy vacuum packers out there cheap models they don't suck all the air out they last a season and then they die on you um that is definitely worth spending some extra bucks in getting a vacuum packer. Um, I know Cabela's has some good ones. They've got some cruddy ones. And then, you know, fortunately for me, I have really, really good ones because of my business. Mm-hmm. We've got big commercial grade vacuum packers. Koch makes great ones. Um, and then Excalibur, they also have um, some good vacuum packers on their site as well. So, And we have a food saver that hasn't broken. No, but that's one of those cheap ones that yeah. it. I really use it. It will break. Those things just don't last. <laughs> okay, so if you buy something and you don't want to use it because you know it's going to break, it's probably a waste of your money. Yeah, I just use it. <laughs> buy the more expensive one that's going to actually work and you're not going to be afraid to use. Yeah. Yeah. Food um, savers work for a little while, but they never pull all the air out and they're just, I don't know. Yeah. They're not the best. But all right. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good list right there. All right. Let's, was there anything else? No. Let's knock out another question. Okay. If that was a question. Well, yeah. And it's the holidays are almost here, so you got one week, folks, until Christmas. If you still want to buy stuff, we'll have all the uh, links to any of these items on our Amazon store or on our Excel. Yeah, there is nobody link. into food preservation, storage, and food prep and all that that has everything. There's so many things to buy, um, to invest yeah. in, and just little things that you need make mason jars. simpler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come to our house, you can borrow some because I'm starting to, the more we start eating now from the fall, we made fall, then we start eating it and then all of a sudden all these mason jars start to appear. Yeah. Whereas in the fall, it's like they all kind of disappear. Now they're yeah. all coming back. But For mason sure. jars are a must. Wrap up a box of a dozen mason jars and throw that under the tree. There you go. Whoever the canner is in the family is pretty <laughs> happy about it. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So the next question is from a, um, this is an email question and he comments that him and his wife love our podcast. He listened to, he just listened to the 2017 elk podcast and said, what an incredible story about the bull and the bear, which we agree. Um, and they're just really supportive of the podcast, which is awesome. Um, so he has a question for you, babe couple years ago, some of the units down here opened. Oh, so he lives in 
uh, southern Washington State on the Columbia Gorge. So if you don't live in Washington, this may not apply to you. Um, but he lives southern Washington on the Columbia. So he's asking Ryan, um, a couple years ago, some of the units down here opened for a muzzleloader elk hunt. First season in early October and a later one from Thanksgiving on. I'm not so interested in the November one, but I'm curious if you think the early October is a better time to be calling and catching elk in the rut. I hunted it this year with a bow. He didn't get it done, but got it but got into the elk more than once. Bulls were still with cows, but not a lot of talking or responding to the calls. I'm torn because it's usually cooler weather and quieter walking in the woods, but man, the season's super, super short. So he's trying to weigh the pros and cons of archery versus muzzleloader season for next year. Um, wondering if you have any thoughts. Mm, okay. I got lots of thoughts on that one. Yeah. Well, first off, we live in Washington state. So, um, they give us very, very limited seasons. Muzzleloader season now, which they had taken away for a lot of years, they gave us a week. Um, and with bow archery season, they give us two weeks. Oh. That's it. So, and it's like the middle two weeks of September. It's like the middle two weeks of September they give us for archery. So we don't get, I mean, we get some rut, but... Uh, it's a little bit pre-rut, uh, especially where I hunt. It's just not really taken off yet. Um, but also what Washington will do is they'll change those seasons on you. Uh, a couple years ago, um, what I think he related to is like the first week of October, that's when muzzleloader season start. Well, that was a boom year. Like everybody crushed them. Um, my cousin got a monster that year. Um, and then... Uh, I think this this last year they extended it out to October seventh. So they they put it a little bit after the fact. It's not the prime season like October one was. October one was phenomenal. I mean the elk were screaming their heads off, and but it really depends on what you like to do. I mean if you're looking to go out there and you know hear a lot of action and try to you know combat bulls that already have cows and and play that game and which is awesome. It's fun. I love it then I would say your October season is going to be fine. Um, it's going to start winding down, though, if Washington gives us the 7th through the 14th again. But um, if you're a bow guy and you're looking to hunt that season, still, I mean, you know, go for it if that's your thing. But uh, I do that September season with a bow, and they're, you know, they're looking for cows. So it's a little bit pre-rut. And that is a phenomenal time to go call a lot of bulls in. They're not as vocal, so it's not as exciting there. But success-wise, I think it's better. Um, you know, you, you can also, if you play them right, you can go pick a fight with a bull in October or that last week of September and, and do really well. But I think, in my opinion, um, it's I think it's easier to kill some really good bulls a little bit pre pre part of the main rut so that second one third week in september has been really good to me so okay all right so um next question oh this is going to be one for you hill um mm. this is from uh this is an instagram question from todd energy drinks he wants to know are they good are they bad um uh, what do you, what's your opinion on those as well as keto diet? Is it mm. safe? That's a pretty broad 
big old question talking keto, but let's start with those energy drinks. Um, what do you think? It depends. There's a lot of different energy drinks out there from, you know, healthier electrolyte replacement type energy drinks with some caffeine or, you know, to pre-workouts to like full on monsters with, I don't know how many grams of sugar a monster has in it. Um, and you know, massive caffeine, but, uh, I think, I think it depends on what you're drinking. So what I would look for in the energy drink is, um, one, if there is sugar in it or high fructose corn syrup. I think if you just go I to like a convenience like store and you're looking that. at energy drinks on the shelf, most of those are pretty dang bad. I mean, they're just loaded with sugar. Yeah. Just they'll spike you and then you'll, you'll tank. <clears throat> but yeah. And I, um, I think too, they have fairly high caffeine in them and they can have other stimulants in them as well. I don't believe that they're controlled very well. I know that the FDA controls certain things, but sometimes it's the mixture too of things, right? Cause they use certain like amino acids with, um, the sugar and the caffeine kind of like supplements yeah. to kind of increase clarity, increase focus and increase energy. But, uh, I think, I think that I would just watch for those excess sugars or high fructose corn syrup because that's going to destroy your gut. Um, and but most, I think, um, you know, if we're talking convenience store, uh, you know, energy drinks, a different game compared to like what a lot of us hunters take into the backcountry. There's packets out there, you know, they're marketed to hunters that they're more of a, you know, vitamins, electrolytes, uh, caffeine for some energy, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I love them. I love those things. I, I've said this many times. I'm not a big fan of straight water, um, unless it's like just ridiculously hot and then you're drinking that mountain water, then it's really good. Mm -hmm. But overall throughout the day, I'm usually adding something and some of it may have a little caffeine in there, which is good. And I crave that. And then also, you know, the electrolyte factor, which a lot of these, um, energy drinks have, uh, to just kind of keep you going throughout the day. I mean, I think they're pretty important and you can kind of wear yourself out. If you've done any big hikes in hot, hot weather and you're just kind of uh, drinking straight water, mm -hmm. you're really going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think Not physically, a, you're just going to yeah. wear down. So, yeah, I think there's, yeah, I would say the biggest thing, like you said, is, you know, walking to a convenience store and, and buying a monster. No, that's not good for you at all. Um so, yeah, I don't think energy drinks. I think it just depends. I think it's kind of common sense. Yeah, you just got to look at them. Yeah. See, check out the label. See yeah. if it's, uh, you know, if it's got 40 grams of sugar and say, leave it on the shelf. Um, I don't I don't know that there's many canned energy drinks out there that are actually good for you. We found one one time. I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> but I was shocked to see there's like CoQ10 in it and really good stuff. And then it yeah. didn't have all that sugar. But that's pretty rare. That was a rare find. So, um, next question. Is ketogenesis safe? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Keto. Okay. So keto is really kind of the trend right now. I think everybody's doing it from everything from weight loss to help with their brain to, um, I mean, there's so many different reasons people are getting into ketogenesis. Um, kind of just a little bit of a backstory is I, I've never done ketogenesis. I've never done the keto diet. Um, I learned about ke the keto diet in medical school, mainly in its implication, um, 
because it had therapeutic effects against um, seizures and seizures that were drug resistant, meaning drugs were not helping these children that had seizures. And so they were using the ketogenic diet with these kids. And um, the ketogenic diet, if you don't know, is it's very high fat. Uh, most of your macros is fat. And then you have um, protein, moderate protein to low protein. And then you also have very low carbohydrates. So what's the percentage? Most people are like, carbohydrate would be 20 to 50 grams. So that would be 5%, 5 to 10% carbohydrate. I think it's over 70%, 70 to 70% fat. And then the rest would be protein. And then there's also all this Can stuff I just out there. Eat avocados and bacon all day and be okay. <laughs> so no, you couldn't eat just bacon and avocado. You probably could for a few days, but you know, it's not, it's not probably best to do that. I think what's important, and I so some of you may out there be like, "What is this? I don't even know what you're talking about." Okay, if you're in the healthosphere like I am, it's a fat. It's going on right now, and the research, you know, there isn't a ton of research in human studies, except for like I said, some of these epileptic conditions. But we do know now there's research coming out in cognitive dysfunction, so like pre Alzheimer's, reversing cognitive decline, and. We do know that it's very, very good for neuro neurological problems and neural inflammation. So about a month in November, I went to a talk um, to a medical weekend lecture seminar with uh, Dr. Dom D'Agostino was there talking. And he's one of the top researchers in the keto ketogenic diet and its many, many different uses. And I was just kind of blown away by the research and not only the research in like weight loss and in um, metabolic syndromes, but in neuroinflammation, in like cardiovascular disease and liver problems, gut problems. It's, it's pretty crazy. So I got kind of interested and thought, wow, maybe I'll try this myself um, because I do tend to have some more brain issues when I get tired and run down and fatigued, you know, um, I have sleep issues, that kind of stuff. And I can really notice if I've been eating too much gluten, if I've been eating too much sugar, if I haven't been getting exercise, if I haven't been sleeping, I can kind of tell my gut is just not working well. So I started doing the keto and how with like in 48 hours, I could really tell a difference in my brain. And we know that all the main diseases out there today killing people are mainly inflammatory diseases, right? And, and insulin dysregulation is just almost holding the hand of every single one of those diseases. And so what you're looking for when you do the ketogenesis is you're just using, looking to use what are called ketone bodies as fuel source. Um, I think that if you want to improve your mental game, yeah, and uh, I think I would say it's amazing. Um, if you want to lose some weight, and you want to get your hormones and your endocrine system more balanced, it's great. If you want to decrease like burden on your liver and your gut, it's great. But there are always like some drawbacks and some, and it's hard to do. I, I got a ketone monitor and I've only been in ketosis once, like real ketosis. So over point, um, there's, you know, all these values of where you need to be. And I've only one time ever been over 0.6 millimoles. So if you're under 0.6 millimoles of ketones, you're not in ketosis yet. But you, need to, you need to quit baking delicious muffins, <laughs> cream cheese. And I actually just posted a recipe today and they're low carb, kind of like keto cream cheese muffins. Yeah, but they're keeping you out of ketosis. <laughs> 
Well, I don't eat a ton of them. I've only had... That's the thing about it, though, is the foods that you're eating, they satiate you so you get full and you're not hungry. You keep eating tons of carbohydrate, right? You you get hungry easier because you're spiking that insulin reflex. And Yeah, I remember the fat thing about, you know, kind of suppressing your appetite. Yeah. I remember when, uh, I think it was Dave Asprey came out. I, he didn't create it, but he kind of... Um, put it out there, the bulletproof coffee. I think one of the biggest parts to that um, was appetite suppressant, you know, having the MCT oils, um, coconut oils, and just really jacking up your, you know, grass-fed butter was a big contributor to that. That really suppresses the appetite, and hence you lose weight. Just to be clear, because yeah. I don't know, is fat adapted just mean that your body has, has started burning, using the fat as its energy source versus burning up muscle and is that how that works burning up the carbs or what's fat it adapted means mean? that you're you're able you're efficiently burning fat for fuel okay okay and um it's kind of the it would be an entire podcast of biochemistry to go through how this actually happens i mean you can go online and read about it everywhere about the whole process of this. But once you become fat adapted, your body is getting better at utilizing fat for energy instead of storing it. Yeah, and I've talked to a few guys at Backcountry Hunt, Brian Barney being one of them. He, mm -hmm. he does the keto, and it works really, really good for him. I've also talked to guys where they'll do it outside of hunting season because um, they just need more carbs, I think, when they're in the mountains. Uh, some people do just great on just a high fat diet and that's enough to, to get them, get them through doing these hard hikes and whatnot. But, uh, I think for myself, I haven't done the keto yet. I might try it, but, um, boy, those carbs sure do help me on big, long hikes or yeah. extended hunts. And then if you go to my Instagram page at doc Hillary, I, I just posted one of my days of macros from my, um, I got a little mon a little app on my phone, and I put in my macros every day, and I just post on Instagram, and that's where I got so much interaction. I was like, "Whoa, people really have questions." There's people on there that gave me answers about why it works for them, people why it didn't work for them. So that may be an interesting post to go back and read. Um, and I read a book called The End of Alzheimer's. If you have any Alzheimer's disease or cognitive dementia or any neurological diseases in your family, you need to read this book. It's The research in there is, is so cool. I read that book too that same weekend and I was like, this is it. And he talks about ketogenesis in there. So I think that we're going to see it being used a lot to help kind of our sickness that we've created by eating too many simple carbohydrates and having decades now of poor diets basically yeah. so fat right. is not evil fat is not evil we'll talk about that here in a little bit with the liver but fat is not evil um and it's the types of sugars that you're eating and you just want to keep your cars <clears throat> carbs to a like realistic yeah level. fat fat is uh you know we've changed our diet a lot and we we jacked up our fat content mm -hmm. significantly and a lot of people have they've kind of figured this out and you know, I, I haven't had a sore joint, um, like from running or hiking or backpacking or whatever. I don't even remember. It's been so long. I, just, I have no idea when the last mm -hmm. time, like, my joints ached. In my 20s, my joints ached. But I wasn't eating right. I was eating a lot more sugars. And the inflammation caused from that um, made me hurt, even in my 20s when I thought I was bulletproof. 
But now I feel like I honestly feel better than when I was in my 20s because I can hike and hike and hike and, you know, climb stuff with heavy weight. And I have no inflammation and no joint pain ever. And I think that's just completely related to diet. And I think the biggest part is obviously clean foods, cutting out sugars, but, uh, you know, a high, a lot higher content of fats. You know, we put co- coconut oil. Your skin looks pretty good because you shaved off that beard, all yeah. that fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, way more coconut oil, a yeah. lot of avocado oil, um, yeah. all that stuff. It's just, uh, I think that's a big contributor to to me feeling Personally, now. this diet to me is like all my favorite things. I love oils. I love awesome extra virgin olive oil. You know, you need to get good oils. I love avocados. I love olives. I love fatty meat. Like I love these things. Uh, so for me, elk wrapped in bacon. Yeah. It's really, it's not a cheese. I've been eating more dairy than I normally do, but I find that I'm okay with dairy. I think it's the grains. I think it's the sugars that were bothering me more because I can eat cheese. I eat the cream cheese. Um, I'm drinking more whole raw milk and it doesn't bother me. I'm drinking cream in the coffee. I never was doing that. And so I'm finding that this diet fits more with the things I really want to eat. Yeah, everybody I've talked to said the same thing when I started it. They're just they're you just more, don't eat as their much. Clarity is yeah. so much better. Their their mind, if they had brain fog or anything like that, um, seems to go away. So, all right, I think we've covered the yeah, keto. Yeah, we're gonna thing. have some let's, keto let's experts on. on. We didn't even talk about the fasting piece of it, so that's another one. But <clears> we'll, we're gonna have some real keto experts on. Definitely not me, um, but yeah, yeah. All right. How do you manage the mental side of multiple day day hunting trips um, when solo hunting? Oh, are you talking to me? How do I manage Yeah. How do you manage this (laughs) mental side of multiple day hunts while I'm gone solo hunting? Mm. Yeah. This starts when you're young because I'm old now. So I think back, I think uh, you got to start this one out early. First off, you got to find a lady out there who can handle herself. She, <laughs> hey, I'm glad to hear she, that. <laughs> you better find somebody who is kind of independent and, uh, you know, can work, you know, can keep the house managed while you're away. That will save you a ton of grief and headache. Um, so honestly, I think, uh, you know, the mental side is one of the toughest parts about solo hunting. Um, we've talked about this in the past. Managing that comes from experience. Uh, you know, I, I think I was really good at it in the early years, but it was still difficult. Um, but there's just a few things that I do now. I'm, I'm way more comfortable being back there by myself. I'm perfectly okay being alone with myself, not talking for weeks. And I'd be totally fine with it. Um, the hardest part is thinking about the outside world. Um, you know, what's going on back home? Uh, is there a situation at work? Uh, is your wife, you know, okay. And all the kids doing okay. And is everything running smooth back home? Um, you know, that's one aspect and a really important aspect is, uh, trying to get everything taken care of before you go on a hunt so that your mind is at ease. Cause if it's not, that will fester and, on a hunt. If it's just you back there and you got a slow day and you're not seeing stuff and there's nothing to keep your attention, you'll be thinking about, oh man, should I be back home right now? Should I be working? Should I be doing this? I mean, 
I'm not seeing deer today. Uh, so having the peace of mind, you know, before your trip, knowing that all your work's done, um, basically getting all your homework done, getting, getting, uh, getting everything done. Um, uh, if you're married or not making sure that, uh, all those little projects are fine. Your wife's not pissed off at you. So, um, I try to do that. I never get all my projects done, but, um, no. you know, a lot of that does come from how independent your wife or girlfriend or whoever is back home and they can take care of the house and, and there is deal with situations and this, deal with guys. problems and not freak yeah. out at any, any problem yeah. back home because there's always going to be something that crops up. Now, another part that kind of, I, I think of is I, uh, I, sh- I run a business with, uh, with my buddy, Joe, um, Joe is very good at, if there is a problem at work, he does not bother me with it. He knows it will fester because he does a lot of solo hunting as well. So he's really good about just figuring it out himself. He doesn't need to, you know, text me every problem and have me sitting back there mulling it over like maybe I should get out of here. Um, you know, that's just a courtesy thing. Uh, we, we do that, you know, with each other. I don't, if he's back there hunting, I don't bother him with uh, problems that, you know, He's got no use to uh, to worry about. I'll deal with it and figure it out if he's back there. So those type things. And then, I don't know, hopefully your wife has been married to you long enough to know that as well. <laughs> Try not to bother you with insignificant problems. Um, that's where I have a good ones. She does not. She's able to handle herself and take care of little issues. Like say if there was an issue with a car or vehicle, she'll, she'll figure it out. She'll jump. <laughs> well, you don't have a choice. Rate. Well, I mean, back to the question, how do you leave everyday life behind? I was just, that's why I brought that up because, wow. um, if you're, if you're back there and you got these little problems stewing, um, you're probably not going to find success because instead of staying there as long as it takes, you're probably going to dump out of the hills, yeah. um, you know, quicker than you should. So, uh, I think that's a good conversation to have with people around you is talk about if there's a problem, hopefully they can figure it out themselves and they're independent and, and, you know, knowledgeable enough that they can, they can deal with it if it's insignificant. Obviously there's problems that can't be dealt with, um, by only one person, but, um, you know, I think, uh, I'm just surrounded by folks, uh, wife and, and Joe, they know now it's not going to do any good to just, you know, bother me with insignificant things while I'm hunting, which helps me out a ton. And that definitely allows you to leave life behind and more focus on the hunt and deal with the problems that you have back there. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to text my wife while I'm back there and say, Hey, you know, I almost got mauled tonight. I'm not going to have her sit back and worry while I'm gone for, cause then she'll be texting me constantly. Hey, I, I never fell off. text you constantly. I almost, well, it's because I don't. Years, I've never texted. Because <laughs> I don't text you all the little issues we have back there, all the little danger zones we put ourselves in, and that's just courtesy. I'm not going to make you, you know, worry. So that's a courtesy. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a courtesy. Folks, Ryan never tells me what happened until he gets home. And well, usually we what happens down, is it comes like, out oh, years later. And he's like, oh, by the way, I bear sprayed a bear in the face. And bear spray works, by the way. And I'm like, what? You well, know, I wasn't I mean, too quiet about that he's one. He's not was... like the kind of guy either that's just going to come out and tell you all his problems. He deals with them and he deals with them, you know, he moves on. But yeah, he's good about not worrying me. Ever. Sure. I mean, 
it would be nice to have a little more communication than I get, but I'm used What do you to want it. me to tell you that uh, we scaled a clip today? Almost Well, <laughs> I know you're doing that <laughs> stuff, not. so I guess I don't really. Yeah. Hey, we uh, we floated a river day on a Chinese-made raft, thirty-four <laughs> felt raft, floated it six times. And somehow we survived. <clears throat> back and forth six well, times. now that i'm watching the video and i it's kind of, i can laugh at it now but i'm sure i would not have wanted to hear that when uh, you guys were going through it now no. so uh yeah that was the frank church experience and we'll be you you, you did a <laughs> podcast so we'll be talking about that there's some video we'll we'll yeah. have fun with that you one, wouldn't but. not have wanted the play-by-play on that hunt at all in any most any day Every day there was an adventure on that one that would have probably had you pretty worried. But anyway, all right, let's move on. Oh, all um, right. Next question. This one looks like it's to you, Hill, mm. from Instagram. Colin on Instagram. Uh, he wants to know the importance of liver health and the effects on the rest of your body. Also, uh, benefits and methods of cleansing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the cleansing oh, question. The cleansing mm. question. This well, could be a dirty discussion. Yeah, it's dirty discussion. Okay, so um, we could go down the rabbit hole. Like when you talk about well, the let's talk liver about liver itself. Health. Let's talk about the liver. The liver is is probably the most um, selfless organ in your body because it filters every single thing you put in your body or on your body and helps to clean your blood, right? Because... You want nutritious, healthy blood filtered of all the trash, as Angel Venom said, um, you know, as much as possible. You want it to get to the rest of your body without all the trash in it, right? So the liver does multitudes of different biochemical reactions and enzymatic functions that filter it, take it away, and it also metabolizes things like your hormones. It cleans up... Um, Oh, gosh, everything basically you're exposed to. So the liver is like this organ that can do this for years and years, like your whole life, right? I think most people, unless you have like, well, I won't say that anymore, but traditionally you could live a long time without your liver really being a huge factor, right? As a physician, we would test your liver enzymes. We can see if anything's going on with your liver. And most people that are fairly healthy or don't have tons of problems you know their liver enzymes are good meaning your liver can take a beating and just keep on what is that take a licking and keep on ticking or something i don't know sure what was that old saying <laughs> sounds <laughs> take that a works. beating and keep on whatever so that's your liver but um <laughs> <laughs> the liver is really uh, dependent it's it, that and gut health play a huge piece okay so if your gut is a mess, your liver is having to do a lot of work. And um, the interesting thing today that is becoming more and more common is what's called um, non-alcoholic fatty liver. Okay, We used to only see these. And fat, what that does is it's this disease that proceeds usually to cirrhosis. And then it can go to either liver cancer or liver failure, right? And you used to only see that in alcoholics. Usually we would see that in alcoholics, people that just drank heavily. And you've probably heard alcoholics get cirrhosis, you know, so it's that whole thing. And what it does is it's because your liver stores triglycerides. And um, triglycerides are one of the cholesterol, main cholesterols. And triglycerides are usually increased 
by needing carbohydrate. So going back to the whole keto topic is that we tend to see an elevation in triglycerides if somebody has, they're either one, maybe drinking a lot of alcohol, or they are eating a lot of carbohydrate and a lot of sugar. And so you want to keep your triglycerides down, and, and if they're starting to go up, then that may be putting pressure on your liver. And what your liver will do is it will start to store those triglycerides in the liver because it's, it's, it's basically taking it out of your blood because you, it knows that you shouldn't have all this triglyceride in your blood, right? So it's storing it. The problem with that is then your liver starts to become what we call fatty. And when that happens... That's um, when it kind of what clogs up like a yeah. sink drain. Yeah, like the sink drain. Like eventually you got to pull all the food out so the water can run through you it. You know what clogs <laughs> up the sink drain more than anything? <laughs> I don't know seeds? anything about the liver, but I do know <laughs> what a clogged sink drain looks like. What? Yeah, chia seeds or quinoa, <laughs> but mostly chia seeds. Yeah. Yeah, chia Terrible seeds are gross. Sink they just like yell up in there and... I mean, just think of like the life of an average person. You get up in the morning, um, depending on what you're eating, what you're not eating, what stress you had the night before, if you had enough sleep, you've developed, you know, all these free radicals overnight, you're dehydrated because you lost all your water overnight. And you like get in your car and you sit in traffic, which they say is like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day if you're sitting in traffic. And you go to a job with artificial lights and you sit in a big building with recirculated air and then you go to lunch with, you know, you go to lunch and eat prepackaged food out of, I don't know, from, you know, the grocery store, from McDonald's or from wherever you eat. And then you stress out at work and then you maybe you are smoking. So now you're smoking. You get off work. You go down to the bar and have a drink with your buddies to calm down. Hopefully you did that before you drove home. But I mean, after you <laughs> drove home, but then you drive home in traffic again. Then you sit on the couch. You do no exercise. Your wife cooks you a big old steak with potatoes and uh, bread. I don't know, like uh, red lobster or cheese biscuits. And then which life are we talking good. about? Because I, I don't no, know. But this, this is life. OK. This is the average American because 25 percent of adults now in the United States have fatty, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, right. okay? Hmm. And children, 10 to 13% of children have this. This is a disease you should not be seeing one in children, and you definitely should not be seeing 25% of the population have it. So what this is doing is this so what, is what? Why the children? Why why would such young children diet and poor lack of exercise? Just strictly diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we Makes know sense. that the liver really, <clears throat> the two best things you can do for your liver are eat good and exercise. What about supplements? I know people take supplements and yeah. Whatnot. So the liver has kind of well, there's some herbs that are great for this um, liver, like milk thistle is a great and that's something you could take every day it's really gentle and it kind of goes in and cleans those little holes out it cleans the chia seeds out of the drain that'd be nice and it's it's nice because it helps things move right so milk flesh thistle is great at helping liver inflammation there's a group of things called polyphenols but it'd be like really high dose antioxidants and usually what we see polyphenols in are very dark rich um, fruits and even like purples and blue like vegetables and fruits. Yeah. So like elderberry, 
and there's raspberry, blackberry, blueberry, wild blueberries. So the wild foods, like the wild foraged foods, like the bears are eating and stuff. Those are like really the best. Huckleberries. And there's one called the black raspberry, which is really one of the highest um, up there too. So you can actually eat lower amounts of that. Um, and not have a ton of fructose and carb, but you get a lot of polyphenol. And what the polyphenol does again is it's like it's an antioxidant rich environment for your liver to help eat up all that gunk that's in the drain. Um, so I would say eating eating those foods, um, you can get some elixirs like berry elixirs or where you're taking a tablespoon or two a, a day and it's really highly concentrated. Um, syrups, not like syrup like this in sugar, but berry syrups that are actually just the berry juice that's really concentrated. Yeah, we've had those quite a bit. And they're good, yeah. And they're great for immunity. So we take them usually in the winter from our kids and stuff for immunity. They they help your immune system. Um, And then things like phosphatidylcholine, which choline is really important for the liver. It's also important for the brain. It kind of smooths things out. It helps your gallbladder by decreasing possible stone formation. Um, and it's, a it's another good supplement that you may want to think about for, for liver health, phosphatidylcholine. Um, but then again, you know, filtered water, filtering your water, um, organic food, uh, you know, clean food, avoiding, oh geez, alcohol, avoiding high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is probably the main reason. Well, there's two main reasons. For One is high fructose corn syrup. It's in your sodas, your drinks. They're they're using high fructose corn syrup as a way to sweeten things. Um, and so that is... Um, one of the reasons we're seeing this in increase in liver inflammation with that, or your body, you're, you're taking in all that high fructose corn syrup. So your, your liver storing all that excess triglyceride. Um, another big area is PCBs and PCBs are in farmed fish. So if you're eating a bunch of farmed fish and I know sometimes people live in the Midwest and they go to Costco and that's it, that's all you can get. Don't eat it. It's not even worth it. It's full of, it's more full of chemicals that are actually disrupting your liver function and your endocrine system. It's not even worth eating it. It'd be better to get a high grade omega-3 fish oil supplement and take that. Yeah, for sure. And I've, uh, I can't stand seeing all those Atlantic salmon getting doled out there. Yeah. I mean, I see what they do. I've been to so many processing plants and, and, uh, fish pens you know, they raise these salmon. I mean, it's just they're eating dog food pellets, basically, and then they have to add dyes to make the meat yeah. go from white, bleached out white, to a nice sellable colored meat. Oh. So they're adding dyes, and um, yeah, it's pretty pretty nasty. And if you think of that, so you got PCBs now, and we also know that Atlantic salmon tend to be higher in mercury, right? Um, because they're not they're not migrating. Well, they're, they're pen raised in, in pen. shallower, shallower right. waters. They're not out, you know, right. um, like our wild fish, you know, they go way out and, and come back in and yeah. ever so many years where a lot of these Atlantics, they're just penned up in these, in these bays. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a steady flow of fresh water and a lot of work, a lot of the toxins build up in these bays. And oh. The liver is like doing, it's going to, it's it's what it's what it's supposed to be doing, but the more insult you give it with these foods and these things, it's really bad. So I would say cleansing, 
you know, I think you want to maybe a couple times a year cleanse your body by doing things that decrease the burden on it. So, hey, you know what? Um, with I'll this keto, with the keto thing you do, what's called intermittent fasting. You drink water, but you don't eat for 12 to 16 hours in a in a daily period. And then when you are eating, you're eating healthy, clean. This is That could even be considered cleansing because fasting, there's tons of research that fasting is amazing for so many things. And really what you're doing when you're fasting is you are giving your body a break. Um, eating healthier foods, more water-based foods, plant-based foods you know, fruits and veggies and fiber and, um, probably stopping the heavy saturated fats and meats and stuff for a period of time. Cause those take a lot of energy to break down. I think just cleaning up your diet and getting rid of allergen foods and drinking more water and getting more sleep and exercising. Cause Anything you do where you sweat or you eliminate, like you pee, you poop, you sweat. And you breathe water out of your mouth too. So that's how you get rid of stuff. So you need to be working out because you need to sweat. And you need to not be constipated because that's not going to be good for you. And you also need to be, your kidneys need to be working. Again, kidneys are an organ of uh, elimination. So those are all important. But cleansing is uh, something you should probably... Yeah. Decide what kind of cleansing <clears throat> you want to do. Well, if we were smart and we wanted to sell more Stealthy Hunter coffee, <laughs> we would have talked about coffee enemas. What, what are those beer bong things I think of from college? <laughs> <laughs> but it said it's like a funnel for the Stealthy. It's the colonic machine. <laughs> Nasty. All right. Um, have we uh, Have we thoroughly... Oh, oh gosh, yeah, we we could cleanse. talk about the liver forever. We'll okay. we'll talk about it here in a minute with alcohol, but <laughs> I think we're good. All right, um, Dan on Insta. Important lessons Ryan has learned during his hunting career. Um, boy, that could be a whole podcast. I think, quite honestly, I think lessons are they're kind of hard to define, um, just because it's a conglomeration of things that you, you know, do in your early years and you, you kind of, uh, you know, just figure out what works and what doesn't. And then over time you, you change your ways and, and do things differently. But, um, gosh, I think if I, if I try to look at how I hunt today versus how I hunted back then, um, I used to hunt very quickly, fast. I had no patience. I wanted to get things done. Um, in like a super fast manner. And, uh, I don't hunt that way today. I think slowing down, uh, I think observing a lot more, um, paying more attention to, uh, animal behavior where they're, where I should expect to find them. Um, you know, through things I've observed, food sources, water sources, yada, yada. Versus back in the day, I was just looking for an opening. I was glassing and moving to the next opening and covering every single square inch as fast as I could, running all over the mountains and just, uh, you know, trying to trying to find something to shoot. Um, I think that patience um, has been huge and just observing more. I think that's probably one of the bigger things. Uh, most of the lessons, like I say, it's hard to define because it's just it's just uh, figuring out things that work. 
gear. I've learned the hard way things that I should bring and shouldn't bring. Um, one of the big lessons I think for me, um, giving me an ability to get into backcountry hunts more and enjoy it more is downsizing what I used to bring. I used to have, let's face it, back in the day, everything was heavier. There's wool clothes. We, you know, we weren't as fortunate to have, um, what they have today as far as clothing. And also all the equipment from stoves to backpacks to you name it, it was all heavier. And I used to pack too much and it was heavier back then. Um, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is basically don't take too much in the way of clothing. That's something that over time you'll realize you always tend to throw that extra sweatshirt in there and extra two pairs of socks, but you never wear them. And when they come out clean after so many times, it's probably better just to not take them, leave them, leave them at home, leave them back at the truck, um, go light. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. There's just so many things that you learn over time. I don't know the most important ones, but, um, there's, there's just a lot of things that you, that you pick up. I think your style, uh, you know, stalking animals is, is one that took a while to figure out. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody um, goes out and starts stocking, especially like uh, mule deer in the high country in August or September. Um, you know, it, there's all these little things on how how to go in, how you you map out your approach, how you memorize all the features of the topography before you go in on your approach, uh, just your footing, your steps that you take, what you can step on what you can't, how you should approach a deer and, uh, you know, basically moving in, you know, an inch takes you a long time when you're stalking high country mule deer. Uh, it never worked in the past because I always tried to go too fast. And that's one thing that has led to a heck of a lot more success for me. And that's just taken way more time realizing that mule deer have really big ears and they hear everything. You get away with nothing as far as sound, unless you're fortunate to have a windy day where the wind's in your face and then everything is good in life. But, um, it's all those little kinds of things. I mean, we could, we could drum on about lessons learned, uh, in a whole podcast. Well, babe, I think. What, maybe what you need to do since we also have had this question, maybe you should write your little book, hmm? stories and lessons learned your book. No. Yeah, the book. Yeah, hmm. your book. Yeah. That'd be a good idea. Okay. All yeah. right, everybody. I want to see emails and things. Yes, the book, the book, the book. Um. All right, so let's yep. move on. Lessons let's go, learned. Let's go to another question. Uh, <laughs> oh, this just... is a good one. Um, so the effects of alcohol on your gut biome, also the effects of iodine, chlorine, and everything else, uh, used in water purification tablets. Um, this is from an Instagram question. So this is a good one because, you know, I don't know the effects of alcohol in your gut biome, but I will talk about uh, the water purification tablets. This is something I've used in the past a lot. Uh, I used to, again, trying to get light. Uh, I kicked the water pump uh, purifier out of my backpack a long time ago and I went you know straight to iodine tablets because they're so light 
the downside of iodine tablets or any water, water purification tablets is that first off you have to wait you know whether it's 30 minutes or whatever for those things to dissolve and kill the little critters that you've got in your water bottle um that's a big one because that waiting time can be pretty brutal and then also man the flavor and the you know the taste of iodine is not very appealing so you have to add something to it or you know there's there's equalizing um things that you add to your water as well that kind of take that iodine taste out but my concern back in the day i remember thinking this way back is you know say i'm there for 10 days and i'm drinking however many liters a day however many water bottles i'm drinking a day i'm throwing a couple tablets in each one um i wasn't educated on it but it just seemed to me that that could not be very good for me all that iodine over a week in my head unscientifically i'm thinking all right i'm eating maybe i'm taking six eight of those a day to fill the requirements for drinking water every day um you know that's a lot of iodine after a week or 10 days that's a lot of iodine tablets that you're that you're consuming so i you know i just i assumed back then couldn't be good for me i figured out the iodine's killing all these critters isn't it killing everything in my gut too? Um, I didn't know. I didn't know what it, if it was good or bad, but I went away from those as well. As soon as that SteriPen came out, SteriPen is, uh, it's just a magic wand. The thing just works awesome. Um, you know, the first ones that came out weren't very good. They, they lasted a bit, but they didn't last very long. The, uh, the most recent SteriPens the last few years, they're phenomenal. I mean, geez, they're, I've had this last one for a long time. No issues at all. I've never been sick using my SteriPen. Um, and so that's been phenomenal. So I kicked the, the water purification tablets out um, simply because I figured it was probably bad for my gut. So I'm curious to see uh, what you think, Hill, because I've done a little bit of research, but I want to hear what you you have to say on iodine, chlorine, iodine all the all the items that they use in water purifying well i know that i do know that chlorine exposure and some of the byproducts of chlorine um, can um, cause problems with the microbiome so i do know that you know if you have municipal water or you have a um they're treating it mm-hmm. it's good to have a filter right because it can it can disrupt the microbiome in your skin and in your gut and stuff. So it's good to have shower filters, even a whole house filter if you can, drinking filtered water. And so I know chlorine kind of has that. Iodine, I was like trying to rack my brain like, okay, how could iodine actually be a health problem? And the only thing I could come up with is that, and this could be totally wrong. Um, I will say I didn't research this. So this is kind of like just talking through biochemistry is, is that, Iodine, um, iodine is actually needed in the thyroid to convert inactive thyroid to a- thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone, so T4 to T3. And like you know, back in the day when they added i before they added iodine to salt, everybody had these goiters in their thyroid, so they had these big goiters in their thyroid, and that was because people were iodine deficient. And so you'll also see that in like third world countries or places where people don't have good iodine exposure. There's these like big goiters in their neck and their thyroid mm. grows like it's like a tumor, you know, it's like a non-cancerous tumor, benign tumor. But um, 
once you start giving iodine, the 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 goiter goes away. Maybe if you take too much iodine, you can turn yourself hyperthyroid. So hyperthyroid would mean like too much thyroid hormone and now you feel like, you know, you're <laughs> so symptoms of hyperthyroid are anxiety, elevated heart rate, inability to sleep, kind of like taking amphetamines, basically. And Graves' disease, which is an autoimmune hyperthyroid. So there's a number of things. Maybe if you have Graves' disease or you have tendencies towards hyperthyroid, you don't want to be doing iodine tablets. Like that may not be good for you. But most people probably are iodine deficient, truthfully. And even if you were doing it over a number of consecutive days, it's probably not going to hurt you. Because you're eventually going to be quitting. It's not like you're drinking iodine water forever. Now, the chlorine thing, I will say, because they do use that in municipal water systems, you know, that people are being exposed to that on a frequent level. And that's why filtering is important because that's dealing with a consistent microbiome issue. That would be my guess. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Well... I was really curious about it because I just kind of walked away from water purification tablets back then, like I mentioned, just assuming it was probably not that healthy for me. But in fact, uh, the dosages that we're using back there to fill, to uh, purify the amount of water that we're drinking, I mean, you could highball it and say you're drinking four liters of water a day. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit of water, um, you know, that's probably fairly common. Um, I think with the doses that is required to purify that much water, you're a little bit over the average of, uh, you know, micrograms of iodine that they recommend per day, Mm -hmm. but it is not that much. So, um, I think the, the recommended amount is 1100, 1100 micrograms. I think it was 2000 micrograms of iodine per day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're drinking four liters, and using the recommended dosage of iodine, um, you're at 2,000 micrograms. Not that much higher. Uh, not when you consider that there's uh, a ton of studies, and they look at people like in Japan, for instance, that they're averaging 80,000 micrograms of iodine per day, simply because of their diet. They're eating seaweed. They're eating a lot of shellfish. So, And they're pretty dang healthy with that level. Um, so, you know, I obviously what I thought in the past was, uh, you know, it's probably hurting you more than helping you. And now it's uh, it actually surprising that it's probably not a bad thing. In fact, um, some people need a little bit of iodine, a little bit more than they're getting. Um, so that that was a surprise for me. Um, so if you if you were to purify 2000 liters of water yeah. and you were to drink 2000 liters in a fairly you know, fast pace, you would get iodine poisoning. But I don't know any hunters or hikers <laughs> who are able to chug 2,000 liters of water purified by iodine tablets. So I think we're all pretty safe from that. So getting iodine poisoning is probably not going to happen. Um, so basically, I think the answer to this question is unless you're dealing with like a thyroid issue, mm-hmm. you have sensitivity to iodine, obviously, if you're allergic, probably something you want to stay away from. But in all, all in all, it's it's really not that unhealthy. Um, it's not going to kill you, and probably not going to have a significant uh, uh, effect on your health on a on a big backcountry trip or just using them on occasion. 
but still highly recommend the SteriPen. It's it's fast, it's light, and it's uh yeah, it's that's the number one thing is you can you can uh ninety seconds you're drinking that water down mm-hmm. versus waiting thirty minutes and having to deal with the effects of uh that iodine taste. The short term there's the 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 benefit of that is, you know, I mean it's not very fun to get some kind of gut thing. <laughs> the iodine is kind of worse if you're at least your problems, you know. Yeah. If you end up getting beaver fever or whatever the heck it is, you guys get all their giardia. Well, yeah, cryptosporidium giardia, Crypto. those are kind of the yeah. top two that we try to avoid. Oh, well, one thing I've done, I like I say I use that SteriPen, but um, you know, in case I always have it in my mind, I want I want a backup plan. So I always ditch the little glass bottle those iodine tabs come in, and I just put them in a baggie. And I have that as my backup for a big trip. In case I fall, crush my SteriPen, break it, whatever. I got this. I got the iodine tabs at the ready um, so I don't have to use up all my stove fuel boiling water. So, um, yeah, not a bad thing, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll continue to use them if I, if I need it. But, uh, okay, so here's a loaded, here's a big question for you. Was that the, it's, al- do we answer the alcohol microbiome question? Oh, did we not? That's right. Let's just do it real quick. Okay. Should we? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, how does, uh, that's right, it was kind of related to that same thing. I think thing. it's the same guy. Gut biome, um, how does alcohol affect the gut biome? All right, so just like we talked about earlier with the liver, obviously, the liver has to metabolize alcohol, and, um... Alcohol is a sugar, like fructose. We talked about ingestion of too much fructose and what that can do to the gut and the liver. Um, but I think kind of the bigger picture here is that, um, like we said, 25% of the population now has non-alcoholic you know, fatty liver. Um, but alcoholism, alcoholism, like you know, having an addiction and drinking every day. And you know what's kind of crazy? I think it's like... 20 drinks a week for a man and 14 drinks a week for a woman would be considered normal intake. Hmm. That'd be like you 20 alcoholic drinks a week. I can't even imagine you. I don't even think I've seen you drink that many alcoholic drinks in 20 years of marriage. No, you haven't. No, like, (laughs) but that's what the average American is doing. So if you add, maybe they're not alcoholics, but if you add into that, you know, they're um, just their poor diet or they're eating a lot of high fructose corn syrup, you know, it's like all coming in together. And, And the other thing is if you are overweight, um, or obese, which I think it's over 60% of the population is either obese or overweight in this country. Um, you're going to get kind of this condition usually within the gut that's going to be, that's going to cause what we call endotoxemia and alcohol is a great way. Alcohol is one of these substances that will increase endotoxemia and, endotoxemia is usually caused because there is a a dysbiosis issue. So the dysbiosis is that microbiome is disrupted. I don't know what dysbiosis means. So dysbiosis is just your 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 gut bacteria are not balanced. So that's the microbiome, right? That's the microbiome and your gut bacteria is off balance and then you are able to you're basically what happens is your gut barrier is just 
not very strong and you get these molecules there's one called LPS which is a lipopolysaccharide and usually we would test that to see elevate to see what level of LPS you have in your blood that will tell us how disrupted your gut barrier is because you do not want that in your blood that means and what that does is causes this endotoxemia which is basically increasing inflammatory markers increasing those triglycerides like i talked about earlier mm-hmm. in the liver um, um and it's increasing that fatty liver and all of those things like alcohol which is disrupting the microbiome or you could say what's the chicken and what's the egg did you already have a messed up microbiome dysbiosis and then you were drinking alcohol and the alcohol disrupted it more. So it's kind of a vicious circle. So I would say that alcohol itself, so especially if you are overweight or obese for sure, if your BMI is over 40%, um, you should not be drinking alcohol because I can almost guarantee you, and I'm not diagnosing anybody, but I can almost guarantee you that you have a dysbiosis and that you have some endotoxemia going on. Um, which means you're going to have more inflammation. You're going to, and that means you're likely at that at 40 over 40 BMI, you probably have non-alcoholic fatty liver. So if you add in the fact that you're drinking alcohol on top of it, you're just making it worse. Now, if you're an alcoholic, your chances of getting fatty liver because of this endotoxemic reaction, the (laughs) the increase in triglycerides in your liver is really high. And then you know what happens, right? you get cirrhosis. And then usually cirrhosis leads to liver failure or we can even see cancers. Um, The other thing is this fatty liver, there's two phases. One is you get increased triglycerides. And the second phase is you can get, um, you get this, well, we primary liver cancers. So secondary liver cancer is like, let's say you had breast cancer, it spread to your liver, right? Which is really common because the liver is kind of, it's filtering everything. So cells can easily go to the liver and so but that's called a secondary cancer primary cancer is where um it starts in the liver and that's actually more rare we usually only see that with hepatitis and long-term liver damage and alcoholism leads to cirrhosis leads to primary liver cancers so these um i would just say you know if you're overweight if you're not eating well um if your BMI is really high, if you have insulin dysregulation, if you have high triglycerides, and if your liver enzymes are off at all, you probably have some sort of fatty liver, and you've got it. You've probably got some endotoxemia. And drinking alcohol. So drinking is alcohol, not the best thing for your gut. you need to quit drinking alcohol because you're just continuing destroying your gut, and so you need to improve your microbiome by decreasing that dysbiosis and. Alcohol is not helping. So, yes, alcohol does disrupt your dysbi- your your microbiome. Okay. Well, that kind of just walks us into the next question. It's uh, sure. a lot of people concerned about their gut biomes because uh, the next question is, <laughs> oh, is sugar bad on your gut biome? Um, well, sugar is the same thing we talked about with high fructose corn syrup as fructose, which is a sugar. Yeah. Um, obviously, sucrose, which is table sugar, is not good for you in a way that... I mean, it's, again, going back to endotoxemia, this happens when you eat too much sugar because mm-hmm. you are, you're basically creating more inflammation in the gut 
those barriers in the gut are opening up. Those lipopolysaccharides are going into the bloodstream. And now it's causing systemic inflammation as well as increasing diabetes. So like your blood sugars stay elevated, etc. We even see this um, elevated diastolic blood pressure. So if, if you've ever had your blood pressure taken, the top number is the systolic number, the bottom number is distolic. You want that to be perfect is 120 over 80. That's what they call perfect. Sometimes people will have the top number will be high and we can see that high. That's the most common type of hypertension is like that top number goes high. But if the bottom number is staying elevated, that is showing more long-term damage and that shows how hard your, your heart has to work to get blood out to your body. And so that could be something like a aortic valve problem. But the other reason we see that is this endotoxemia, is that people are eating too much sugar, they have fatty liver, they're overweight, um, and it's causing the, that diastolic blood pressure to go up. So you can see that, and you'll see some other urinary metabolites in the urine that you shouldn't see if you were to do a urine test. You're just getting permeability of the gut, and it can't do that. So sugar is the same thing. Now, again, it's the type of sugar. and Yeah, I think um, one of the questions had to do with, like, good sugar sugars versus bad sugars uh well so what would be a good a good sugar yeah mm, a sugar is like the carbohydrate thing in moderation right so most people are eating a Probably lot fruits of and berries. most people are eating like i think between 70 and 100 grams of sugar a day which is insane but how much is a fruit sugar like how much berries? is a nasty old starbucks morning drink Oh, yeah. I see people walking around. I posted on our Instagram page a while back um, because I was at this conference that I went to, and they put this slide up about. I don't even know if we're supposed to say their name. We might get sued, babe. Don't say their name. Coffee (laughs) drink. (laughs) No. Um, Yeah, it had 95. It's their number one morning. It's like a peppermint, uh, I don't know, latte thing. It is equivalent to eating. Like two deep dish pizzas at Domino's or something. It's like 95 grams of sugar. So it'd be like eating five scoops of ice cream at once. That's one drink. Mm-hmm. And so um, not only that, like when you get this toxemia, endotoxemia, it means that your liver is just getting get worse and worse and worse because now your liver is having to deal with all that inflammation. This is where you get the non This is where you get the fatty liver. And when you drink that, all that sugar, not only are you having insulin dysregulation like crazy and you're causing all these metabolic processes to go nuts and inflammation and stuff, you're, you're also causing like um, toxic exposure because now toxins that your liver would normally be able to filter, it's not mm, doing it. Right, right. So now you're just having like, you're having more susceptibility to toxic exposure and you've probably heard of this like people there's a condition called chemical multiple chemical sensitivity or whatever it's like one day you're fine you can drive to work every day in your car and you can eat what you want and then just slowly all of a sudden and then some a lot of these people say it was literally like overnight I couldn't stand the smell of perfume. I couldn't stand the smell of car exhaust. I couldn't stand the smell of this. I couldn't be in a room where they had this. I couldn't drive anymore because everything was bothering me. I was vomiting. I was nauseous. I had headaches. It's like all of a sudden you just are overburdened. And some people are different than others. Like me, 
my liver is slower. I know this because I know this. I live in my body. Like your diesel truck is like, that is the worst smell to me ever. I love that smell. It's so horrible. I feel like I will immediately go into some kind of like <clears throat> attack. I and look forward to starting Ryan loves that smell. And I'm like, is your liver really bad or is my liver really bad? Like yeah, me and my daughter, I don't both. know. So I think the toxic thing, everybody's a little different, right? Like how mm-hmm. you develop that. But the less sugar you eat and the, the better sugars you eat, like go, go more towards those polyphenols, those berries, like an apple. What did we say? It is like five grams of fructose in it. Right. So five grams of fructose That's is fine. Not, not much. But like our little one last year, she liked those little oranges, the oranges little tangerines, uh, cutesies or whatever they're called. She was eating like she would just take them out of the bowl and she was eating like 10 a day. And for one week, she's eating so many of them. She just broke out in this like eczematic rash. And I was like, oh my gosh, she has eczema. And I did this food allergy panel on her and everything because I was freaked out. And then I thought, "Mm, maybe it's because she's eating 10 of those oranges a day. So I just took the oranges away. The rashes went away. It was probably, I was creating an endotoxemia in her because her gut lining was not... She's like one, she was like two when she was doing that. So her gut's not super strong. Her immune system insulting her with tons of fructose. And so it, her skin started to show it. So that's is what I'm saying is like, and then we took the oranges away and her gut was like, oh, thank you. I couldn't handle all that, you know? Yeah, everything in moderation. I mean, this is why well, apples are, are just If just 13% fine. of the population of children has fatty liver disease, yeah. you can see that that's diet related. Yeah, for sure. It's like they're eating too much sugar. Yep. So healthy sugars, maple syrup that we like. We like maple syrup. Honey, raw honey. Getting ready to make some maple syrup. You are. I'm going to tap some trees. Yeah. We're at that time of year. Yeah. Um, fruit sugars of different kinds. There are some like keto sugars out there. I know that come from certain fruits that are really low in low glycemic. Um, agave, people go back and forth about how it's processed and it's not good for you. But, you know, a tablespoon here and there, it's low glycemic. So it's not going to raise. Xylitol is is a plant sugar comes from a tree. Yeah, I like that stuff. So you just, just can't let it, your dogs get it. Keep it away from your dogs. Don't kill your dogs. You but it actually, um, our kids use their toothpaste, has it in it, and it fights tooth decay. So it's, and it's actually, I think, good for your gut. There's erythritol, which we use on the keto diet, but it's a sugar alcohol. So if you eat too much sugar alcohol, you're in the bathroom. You're no longer constipated. Um, and, but white table sugar, excessive amount of fruit sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and alcohol. Remember, folks, sugar, alcohol is a sugar. And it raises blood sugars. And um, this is why, you know, it's part of that dysbiosis endotoxemia thing. So those are probably the sugars I would avoid. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Uh, Next question. Uh, Which type of protein powder is best in terms of health? We always get the protein powder questions. A lot of them. Um, And we actually did a podcast. I think it was... Episode 30, yeah, we did a podcast um, talking about, you know, different types of protein yeah, it powders, was me but let's go and over Dr. that a little Jillian, bit. And we did a Q&A, and she's, you know, she's the queen of gut stuff, So, and she loves protein. She likes protein powders, and she talks about the benefits of them and mm-hmm. stuff, so if you want more detail, you can go listen to that. 
Um, First, let's talk about just the different types of protein powders that are out there mm -hmm. right now. There's plant-based types. There's whey. Um, yeah, there's whey. There's pea proteins. There's hemp proteins. There's rice proteins. There's um, egg white protein. There's beef protein, which are these paleo proteins. Um, there's all, I, I mean... Well, Am I missing anything? That's a lot. So, so there's think, animal versus plant. Yeah, obviously the whey protein is kind of the one everybody knows. They know um, yeah. it's, it's out there everywhere. Some people do really good on whey. I do really good on whey. Mm -hmm. I don't have any issues with it at all. I don't get mm -hmm. bloated and like feel like crud after I drink a whey shake. Um, I think there's certain companies that have a lesser grade of whey. Yeah. Um, I have had that. I think, I don't know, there was a couple of brands that... I think it's stuff like in a GNC how they or something that weren't very yeah. good. And there's way, and I think Jillian talks about this in that podcast, is it's how the way is processed. Right. And that's yeah. really important. And then obviously where the way is coming from. Another really important thing. Um, way is, way has natural immunoglobulins in it. And immunoglobulins are these basically immune components that help your immune system so you've probably heard of colostrum right colostrum is the first thing in mm -hmm. mother's milk it's super high in immunoglobulin and it's good for the baby so you want them to get that colostrum in the beginning and i know people take colostrum now too to help to get that so whey has that immunoglobulin factor to it and that's why it can be good for a lot of things healing your gut and stuff but some people have an allergy to whey and I've actually tested yeah. a lot of people that are allergenic in nature and they don't feel good and they tend to be always allergic to whey. And I don't know if it's just because whey is in everything, like dairy's in everything and you, you become allergic to it. Some people have true allergies and some people have allergics to casein protein, which is the other protein in dairy. So some people are fine with whey because it doesn't have the casein in it. Some people are allergic to whey and that's when I think most people, I think the biggest symptom would be bloating. Bloating and gas. When yeah. people do the way, they don't feel good. They get bloated and gases, and they have maybe okay, so abdominal pain. Here, so, um, so what about guys that, okay, they lift a lot. They're in the gym a lot. They're drinking a ton of whey shakes, yeah. um, you yeah. know, before and post. Um, it seems like what I've heard is eventually, if they're drinking the same, they'll tend to get, like, they'll get that. They'll get bloated. They'll feel bad. And then they switch it up. Why is that? Can't really stick with the same drink for that long. Here's the thing. I mean, those guys that are working out and building a lot of muscle. So there's different schools of thoughts about protein in general, especially with exercise and muscle metabolism. And I think that all this like consumption of excess protein um, in general, some people just don't do very good with it. It's too is much. Is it inflammatory to the gut yeah. that would actually prevent I think the that gut there, from I think performing? That it, I think it can also, like the endotoxemia thing we talked about. So first of all, if you're allergic to something and you're eating it, you're causing endotoxemia just by the fact that you're destroying your gut lining. So gluten does that, right? right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but I think, uh, don't they recommend like doing a cleanse, like getting your gut cleaned out and then taking a lot of probiotics? when you're using a lot of protein shakes, mm -hmm. when you're getting ready to, you know, go all out in the gym. And, well, I and think the out. whole microbiome thing is going 
that just the way it's coming out now about it and how influential it is on everything mm-hmm. is that why can some people do good with that and others can't? And that would be part of it. Yeah. Like you need to like whatever bacteria you have in there abundance. So we, there's the abundance and then the, uh, what's the word? So how many you have and the, the different types that you have, that's going to dictate how well you feel. And if your, you know, um, microbiome is good with the probiotic and all that, the likelihood that you're going to have less gut problems and then you'll have the ability to process these foods better, right? So mm-hmm. you're only getting the amino acid and you're not getting all the other like LPS and all these things you don't want, right? Yeah. So I think if you're allergic, you shouldn't do it. Ryan does great on whey. And actually, I do great on whey sometimes. Sometimes I don't. And I can tell. I just like, yeah. ugh. I just feel, ugh. Well, and we've I, tried like pea protein before, um, yeah. plant-based protein, yeah. drinks and stuff like that. And my problem with those is they, they taste so bad. Yeah. Uh, I just can't take it. And it has to taste good for me to like it or to actually use it. So, you know, I'll add a lot of kale powder to, you know, <laughs> Our shakes, you know, for, you know, a whey protein shake, I'll just add a tablespoon of kale powder to it. And that's a ton of green drink in it. I just can't do the plant-based proteins very well. They're well, hard for me so, to choke down. So knowing what I know from working in the supplement industry in the past is 30% of the population cannot, they don't have the enzyme to break down pea protein. Yeah. So you yeah. wouldn't know this, right? So let's say you're a vegetarian or you don't do good with whey and so you go buy pea protein and then you take the pea protein and then you're like, you feel bloated and sick too. And you're like, well, this is supposed to be healthier for me. But isn't it, can't you well, like you can take, take an, an enzyme, enzyme right yeah. before you? You can and there's, but there's only certain companies that sell it with it. Like one of my it medical actually, grade companies. It actually combines with that. No, drink. they don't combine it because you can't. Okay. It doesn't mix well with a powder, so you have to take the enzyme and then you drink your powder. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't going to do that. So what I say is if you drink a protein, you drink a pea protein, and you feel bloated and disgusting, two things. One, it's not for you. Two, your microbiome's off. Right. Okay? So maybe don't just start heavily into a bunch of proteins. Get your microbiome right. Heal your gut. Do the gut restoration program. Heal your gut and then try the protein. And hmm, maybe you won't bloat. I think that answers most of the questions that I had. I think I I had one more question from a guy who wanted to know if he should uh, take his wife's bow to triple X archery. (laughs) (laughs) Why wouldn't you take it to triple X archery? Because he's in Port Angeles, Washington, and there's nobody by him, and he doesn't trust them, and he'd be willing to drive down to Corey's, who okay, owns well, Triple X. So, can you answer that? I question? can assure you, you can trust Corey Miller yeah. of Triple X. Um, he's a cool guy. He's uh, the bow whisperer. He set my bow up. Yeah, he's good. He uh, he knows a lot. Trustworthy guy. I really like Corey. Definitely worth a drive. I think if he's out on the coast there. So yeah, yeah. I'd recommend Triple X all the way. I just yeah. make sure, you know, call there, make sure Corey's going to be there. He's a fun guy to talk to when you get there as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Triple X Archery. There we go. Uh, anything else? Is that it? I Did I have any more questions? I don't think so. I think we've covered it. I think yeah. we have fully like beat this I mean, it will, liver We should gut. probably do more of these Q&As because uh, to knock down some of the questions yeah. that we get, we should probably do a few more. And hopefully we will now that hunting season's over and I'm actually going to be uh, – 
stuck here at the house. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be fun because that means you guys are going to get more stuff. So, all right, babe. Well, this has been a good one. All right. Well, until the next one. Hopefully, somebody got something out of that. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. The Hunt Harvest Health Podcast and Stealthy Hunter LLC website is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your own health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider. If you have more questions related to naturopathic care and possibly setting up a consult with Dr. Hillary, please go to our website or email us at lampers at stealthyhunter.com. Please note, without direct medical consult, all correspondence is only a recommendation and cannot be considered medical treatment.